Welcome to the Human Centered Leadership Podcast with me, your host, Kulmahe. I have worked in the leadership space for three decades, and now I work with organizations and leaders to develop powerful cultures of high value and performance that is built all around their people. We will interview leaders from around the world and at the very top end of their game to explore what emotional intelligence in practice actually looks like and the benefits that it could bring to any team. This is a movement to transform the way that we see leadership and to create powerful cultures where people feel seen, heard, valued and appreciated and consequently perform to the very best. Why don't you join the movement and subscribe to our podcast and don't forget to click on notifications to stay up to date with all new content. Welcome to another exciting episode today uh, where I get to speak to an incredible leader who gets the whole concept of uh, human-centered leadership and emotional intelligence in critical leadership functions. Today I'm joined by Dean Cadham, OBE, uh, who is the head of Center for Army Leadership based at the Royal Military Academy in Santos. Dean, it's a real honor to have you here and I've got one burning question after we say hello to each other that I have to post you straight away. How are you? How was your Christmas and New Year? It was fantastic. Thank you, Cool, And thanks for having me. It's a real pleasure. And you've had some great family time. We had a conversation before Christmas and you were switching off and having family time, which I think is a really good leadership tool and practice to have. Did you have good family time? Yeah, it was all, all great. Thank you. It was good. Excellent, excellent. So uh, I was, I was, I'd never heard of the Centre for Army Leadership before. So I've done a bit of research, and there's a couple of sentences that I've come across, uh, Dean, that I just thought, wow, these are powerful, actually. And it said something like the the Centre for Army Leadership is the guardian of the Army Leadership doctrine, and it acts as a leadership conscience for the British Army. And I thought, wow, that is a really powerful statement. What, where does that come from? What, what, is a, what is the Centre for Army Leadership all about? Well, the Centre for Army Leadership is a relatively young organisation, only seven years ago now that it was formed up, when there was a, a recognition that although the Army is pretty well recognised for good leadership and has got a long history in leadership training and its employment and operations, that there is always room for improvement in leadership development as an organization and in the individuals and so the center was set up specifically to take on that mantle of continuing to improve leaders and continuing to improve the army's leadership development and we find ourselves now still a relatively small team but with exponential impact across the army and we're striving to reach out to all aspects of the army we do that for private soldiers through to generals the most junior to the wow. most senior throughout their yep. whole whole career and it's a, a hugely privileged position and one which there is a, a huge amount of work to do on one might think that you know, this has all been sewn up over 350 years or so of training and operating in the army but you realize that there will always be improvements where you have to adjust individuals and the organization to the changing context of leadership and and the new younger people which are constantly coming into it. Oh, there's a couple of things there, Dean, that uh, you've mentioned, and we were talking before we went on to the podcast, and I all, 
I usually have a five minute discussion with someone, but you and I ended up talking for nearly half an hour because there's so much synergy and uh, we have so much similarity in terms of our way of thinking. So there's a couple of things that you've mentioned there. One, you've talked about the generational thinking and the new generation of people coming into the army. And, you know, for me, it was a police service and how we need to adjust our our philosophy, if you like, the leadership philosophy within our organisation to to attract these people coming in and also to then get the value from these younger people coming in. But also you talked about um, this, this, um, this whole evolutionary ideology. ideology. It's accepting that the the environment is constantly changing and that the 350 year old way of being is not enough. And we have to be constantly moving forward and being agile. So, I mean, you've got a small team, but you've got a huge task ahead of you. And, you know, I commend the army for having set the unit up because I think it's absolutely the right thing to do. How are you, how are you measuring the evolutionary changes that need to be brought about for one thing? Yeah. So it's a very often asked question about measurement of leadership and the impact that leadership development and training has on organizations. And especially if you try to start trying to measure financial input time and resource input to leadership training and then trying especially over a short period of time to measure what difference it's made that's quite difficult in terms of statistics and figures but what we accept is that as a group of experienced individuals both in the team and with the people that we talk to about our stuff we can all recognize what good leadership development and good leadership mm. is and if we all agree that the stuff that we're doing is going to make it better for individuals and for the organization, then that's the right thing to do. A rising tide raises all ships and therefore keep doing what we're doing. Um, Don't be tied down by looking for metrics and specifics because you'll waste a huge amount of energy and time measuring things which are very difficult to measure. And then just keep monitoring the, the climates and the cultures in the organization speaking to people speaking to the the youngest people coming in as to what their experiences are very quickly and just keep moving forward and if everyone is always moving forward both in their individual leadership development and if we are organizationally then it will continue to get better and it will always get better there is no end point for us to aim to to say that's it leadership's cracked there will always be improvements and changes in the context which mean we need to keep moving. Yeah, I mean, you know, we were talking, weren't we, earlier on uh, around uh, what are the frustrations, for example, that I have when I go into organisations and talk about the leadership work that we do. One of the questions that are often uh, asked of me is how, so how will that improve my bottom line? And, you know, how can you prove that there's a there's this connection between what you do and improved performance or profitability of the and it, it is it is a it is a tough question uh, to answer because you know it's unquantifiable in many ways, but it's also easy to understand in so many other ways. And as you, I think you just said that you know we we know what's right, we know what's what what what's good for our organisation to have. And the way I always answer is well, imagine that you had a workforce that of of fully engaged, uh, fully fully happy and satisfied and. Uh, energized uh, human beings and then imagine a a workforce where you've got disengaged and distrustful and unhappy human beings who's going to perform better and for me it really is as simple as that isn't it that we need to create the 
these environments. Well, there's also this point, and it might sound slightly odd to say, and I don't think it's uh, exclusive to public sector organisations, organisations like the army, is that it's just the right thing to do. Mm. <laughs> and that, that probably makes some... Uh, senior people in organizations and executives quite uncomfortable as a statement because it's certainly not not something i think which is recognized in the business world obviously but it's the right thing to do to yeah. look after and lead your people as best as possible to make their lives at work as fulfilling and enjoyable as possible and they you the, the business the organization will benefit from that but ultimately it's the right thing to do and that should be enough yeah. And that comes down to values for me, isn't it? Uh, because if the core values and are lived out of an organization, then ultimately it will mean that the people matter. We, we understand that the people matter. And I think uniform services do, uh, do work around values. I know the British Army got very strong values that it, that it aspires towards and they, and they live those values out. And so did the police service. So when you really understand what your values are as an organization, you'll understand that people sit at the heart of those values as well. That's how I see it. Absolutely. And the, the point we would make, I think probably every British soldier and officer by the time they leave their basic training would be able to tell you what the army's values are. And that's probably not the case in most organizations. Yeah. But just knowing the list of the words isn't quite enough. You have to go through the process of understanding them, talking about them, living them and seeing other people live them to really embed them. But actually, once they are embedded and people start to practice them themselves, that's a virtuous circle and mm. the organization really benefits from it. The army's moving now into its 24th year with the, the values that were set out in 2000. And you know, they are investigated, looked at, tested fairly routinely to make sure they are still relevant and current and each time they're, they're proven to be. And so, that's a, a really useful baseline and it's the baseline for everything. Mm. It's quite remarkable, Dean, because, you know, ordinarily what you find in any organisation, and I've seen it in the police service, where you get a, a new person in charge, a new commanding officer of, of the organisation. And the first thing they want to do is look at the values and then amend those values and maybe put, make their mark. But for the army to have had the same values since 2000 demonstrates that they must have some some depth, those values. So what are the values of the army? So we have got courage and we break that down into both physical and moral because they're two very different things. Discipline, respect for others, integrity, loyalty, and selfless commitment. I love that. Uh, I'd say the words are easy to reel off, but you know there are some challenges against some of those words perhaps the ones that come up often you know, selfless commitment does just in itself saying that could that lead some people to just go too far at work mm. in far as far as their commitment over committing burning out putting everything before themselves and that's not actually healthy of course once you you dig into the, the bit of detail behind that then it's pretty clear that selfless commitment isn't the the ultimate commitment of everything you've got all of the time to the point where you're actually no use to the organization at all. Similarly for loyalty. Are we talking yeah. about loyalty at all costs? No, of course 
we're not. Sometimes your loyalty is to yourself. Sometimes it's to your team. Sometimes it's to the organization. Sometimes they might not all uh, point in the same direction and add up yeah. to the same thing. You might be being loyal to the organization by calling something out, uh, whistleblowing on something, pointing out to your boss, your leader, that something isn't right. That is loyalty. It's it's not uh, necessarily easily explained just in, in a single word, but we, of course, welcome challenges to them. Um, and each time we do, actually, we, we realize that the values we've got are the foundation of everything we do, and they've stayed the test of time so far, uh, and they're still used and taught all the time. I, I love that. You know, this is a real example, isn't it, of how when an organization truly embarrasses, embraces its values, uh, what that looks like in, in terms of its understanding, its, its impact on every single individual in that organization. And I, you know, I've, I get frustrated so often when I walk into organization, I speak to senior leaders and say, Oh, what are the values of your, what are your values as, an, as a leader? And they'll inevitably point up to some shiny poster and say, well, they're my values. Well, they're not. They're the values of your organization. They're just a set of words. A, do you understand them and do you live them out? And B, what are your values as an individual, as a human being? And do, is secondly, and thirdly, is there an alignment? Uh, we, we in the police service used to have uh, a decision-making model that I would be able to use at two or three o'clock in the morning as having been woken up for a life and death decision as a gold commander. And I was able to make those decisions because I had this, what we call the police national decision-making model. But sitting at the very heart of that model was values, the code of ethics, as we call it. Uh, so every decision or every element of that decision had to be tested against that code, those code of ethics. Is this the right thing to do in this context? And does it sit comfortably and align with our code of ethics as a police service? And for me now at a personal level, it's values. Does, it, does everything sit with me uh, in terms of my values? The one I really, uh, that struck me there was selfless commitment. And, you know, one of my core values is a four letter word. It's an Indian word. It's Seva, S-E-V-A. And the literal translation of that is selfless service. Uh, so to hear that the, the army has got a very similar value, uh, I think is, is fantastic. And I think more organizations need to have that. Uh, because it's understanding when you are a public service, it's understanding what public service really is. It is about serving other people. But I always say that leadership is about service. Uh, and uh, one of the things that uh, I'm really trying to push forward now when it comes to leadership is about understanding that leadership is not a position of authority, but a position of responsibility, where you have the responsibility to serve the people that you're leading. And I think we've I've seen management models in the past talking about servant leadership, but is that a concept that, um, A, that the army are looking at, or is that a concept that you personally have explored? And what are your thoughts around that? So if we take the, the closest example to the Centre for Army Leadership, then the Royal Military Academy Sandhurst's motto is serve to lead. And it, it seems like a, a paradox, but that is what makes you sit down and think about it. Yeah. And the the junior officers, the new officers going through training at the Royal Military Academy, yeah, that will be the the foundation for everything as they step up, go up the steps, commission, and go out into the field army. They will go out knowing that serve to lead is 
what they are there to do. They are there to work for the soldiers under their command. It's not the other way around. And mm. that's probably a common misconception of people who aren't familiar with the army looking into it. Uh, it's officers who are there to serve the soldiers who happen to be beneath them in terms of rank and authority, but certainly not in terms of leadership. Absolutely. And it's almost like treating everybody in your organization or in your team as a leader. If they have an expertise that is more than your expertise, they are a leader in that sense because they, they have the ability to influence you. Uh, and when you start t- treating everybody as a leader, then new conversations are different. You, you inter- your interactions are different. I want to talk, uh, Dean, yeah. about um, this whole age-old thing, and it's a real frustration of mine, around anything to do with interpersonal skills, communication, human human connection is very often phrased as soft skills uh, as opposed to the technical skills that we learn as leaders. And I've been on plenty of those courses to learn how to command specific environments. Um, but it seems like the army does have a, 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 an understanding of the importance of these so-called soft skills what are your thoughts on, on, on these critical skills in leadership? I think most people, and we speak to obviously a lot of people in the army of all ranks and levels of experience. We also speak to a lot of people outside the army, mainly because we want to see how they do their leadership development and leader development yeah. so that we can draw on all the best bits. Probably the thing that people are most surprised about in and outside the army after the Centre for Army Leadership spoken to them, is that our focus is on what would loosely be called soft skills. People don't come to the Centre for Army Leadership and hear about the amazing attack that somebody did in some far off land in some operation back in some, uh, some war somewhere. There are loads of people in the army with loads of experience of doing that and of learning about that who can teach it and talk about it. Yeah. There are a lot fewer people who are focused on developing broadly softer skills and emotional intelligence and social intelligence are two things which we focus on. So most people come away from a session with us surprised at the sorts of things that we talk about. And when you mentioned the army's doctrine, leadership doctrine is what we've written and that we espouse when we go around to people as the handrail for mm leader and leadership development, we break down the Army's definition of leadership is the the combination of character, knowledge and action that inspires other people to succeed. And those three words are important, character, knowledge and action. That translates as what people are, what they know and what they do. And yeah. if we look at what people know, then specifically we break that down into knowing themselves first then knowing their team, and then knowing their profession. So broadly, their EQ, their SQ, and then their IQ. And the Army is fantastic at improving people's IQ, training them, getting to remember processes and that sort of thing. Uh, It's pretty good at getting to know teams and developing social intelligence, but EQ... Probably not so much. And, that's, and therefore, we see that as our start point for getting people better. It, it's, it's wonderful to hear, though, Dean, that the army embraces social and emotional intelligence as being key to the development of, of great leaders. And, and if the army can do that, um, being, given that the army 
has to operate in arenas that are combative, then it should work for many, many other organizations. And I think it's an important thing for many leaders in many organizations to understand the importance that the British Army places on things like social and emotional intelligence. And and you're right, you know, with myself, I went on plenty of programs in the police service that were very much around technical skills, around processes, around command of certain environments, certain situations. But when you cut through all of that, the rhetoric that exists that, that supports all of that was all around people. It was all around, you know, how do you get the best out of your people? How do you have better conversations? How do you under, read the environment better? Uh, and that's all around social emotional intelligence. So I'm really encouraged to hear that the army places such importance on that. Uh, and it's a great message uh, yeah. to, to get out there, really. What are your challenges, do you think, you know, uh, with this? Br- well, relatively young unit that you've got that's going to have such a huge impact because you literally are there for the whole army, as you said, from from uh, from private through to general. You you cover the whole gambit, and you're a small team. So, what are your challenges and what are your aspirations? Where do you want to get to? Where, what would it? What would success look like in the next two to three years for you? So, I think the thing that we're really looking to do now, we recognise I've been in the job for nine months now. And I turned up and I read everything that the organization's written and I saw how they were going about applying it. And they just issued the sort of latest, the second version of the doctrine. And they just published a really interesting doctrine note, a kind of update on followership. And that's in the context of follower not being a bad word. I know there's a lot of conversation about leaders, leaders, and but... Broadly speaking, excellent followers look like good leaders and all the traits and characteristics uh, are quite similar. Um, Let's not get hung up on the word. And they've just published the leader competency framework where for the first time in 350 years, the army's written down exactly what it expects excellent leaders to be. And so they've done a huge amount of work before I even arrived um, and just got to the point where this is all culminated together. And so really the the challenge and our aim now is to make sure that all that excellent work gets out to the furthest reaches, every bit of the army, so that people have a common language, a common baseline. They understand the things that we think they need to be better at, to be better leaders, and that the organisation needs to be better at. I think that's very important, Dean. I mean, if, you, if we're going to uh, try to move everyone forward, we need to get everyone to the same baseline. And not everyone will be in the same baseline. Their understanding of what good leadership is and what bad leadership is, or their understanding of what good performance and bad performance looks like, it'll all be at different levels, won't it? And so that in itself is a huge task to get everyone to the same baseline and then building from that as well. So <laughs> good luck and to you on we're that. we're lucky in that yeah, the Army is uh, very shortly launching a improving its culture program, a culture right. to improve, wrong, a program to improve its culture um, consistently over the next uh, few years. And the Centre for Army Leadership and our work will be central to that, We're using leaders and leadership as the driver for improving culture. So that will really help us with getting all of our doctrine our lessons our teachings out to the furthest reaches of the army and and helping everyone to use leadership as the medium to improve 
climates and ultimately culture over the coming years. I think that's great. And uh, there's a lot of talk around culture. What does healthy culture look like? You know, so many organisations, I know the police service are very often under the magnifying glass when it comes to culture, but actually these cultural conversations going on in, in so many industries. What does good culture look like for you? What do you think is good culture? Yeah, well, I think... I think- it's probably not what culture looks like, it's what it feels like. And therefore, you have to speak to the, the people in the organization. And it is about how they feel. Because for a lot of people, regardless of how experienced you are, putting it into words about how you feel about the the way of life in an organization can either be intimidating or it can be just difficult to find the right word, especially if you've been in it for a really long time, because actually... People would refer to the army almost as being a life, not just a job. Yeah. Once you are really deeply in it, then it's quite difficult to see uh, how you have become because you are the culture. Yeah. Individuals yeah. in the organization are its culture. And so I think just continuing to ask people at all levels of the organization, at the furthest reaches of it, across its full diversity of people, experience and experiences, how they feel about it and it's how people mm. feel in an organization that will determine whether the culture is right or wrong there will always be in any big organization or business things that go wrong sometimes um, because they have people in them and that's just how it goes it's how you deal with those things how you try to reduce the number of them and how you try to reduce the severity of them over time that yeah. improves that that very often public negative perceptions of cultures, uh, very often the really positive stuff goes a bit less noticed, but it, it is all there. I, I think I think you're absolutely right. I think culture is something that's measured from within the organisation, but also it depends on what kind of organisation you're in. If you have an external facing element to your organisation, uh, particularly if you're a public service or if you're a private sector and you've, you've got clients or or shareholders, it's also about asking them what they feel is the result of the culture that exists in the organisation. And that's like the character of the organisation for me, the impact that they have on the people that they serve. Uh, but, you know, measuring culture is not an easy thing. And I've, I've done culture diagnostics in other organisations where predominantly the, the work actually comes down to Talking to people, as you say, talking to people in the organization. How do you feel? Do you feel valid in the organization? Uh, do you feel that you're able to contribute in the organization? Are you listened to? And it really comes down to four key things. Are you seen, heard, appreciated and valued? And if you feel you are, then actually you develop this whole concept of trust as a foundational thing within the organization. And, uh, and when you've got trust in an organization, I think you're, 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 you're in a healthy area. You're in a you're in a good place to start moving forward, don't you think? Absolutely. The army conducts climate assessments for units routinely all the time, and so I think we would say that the aggregation of climates equals a culture. And so each uh, unit, so anywhere between twenty or two thousand people, will have a, a climate assessment, and that will tell you what life is like for the people in that organization which is yeah. relatively isolated as far as its leadership is concerned uh, if you add up those climates across the bigger organizations that they sit within and over time then you start to get 
uh, an appreciation of the culture, we would say. So they, those climates add up to a culture. The climates are sort of the subcultures that exist within smaller teams, and then you aggregate that to understand what the larger culture I love that. I love that because we forget, we often forget about the subcultures. Yeah. And when in the army and across the other services, that's when the outliers are identified. And that's where, if there haven't been any uh, really public exposes of poor climate or subcultures, then the climate assessment will find it out for you. And that's what they are there to do. That's incredible. I love that because it's all almost made this whole concept of culture a scientific exploration because there is a process behind it, an analytical process. And I think it goes to show that it can be can be done by any organisation. And, you know, when I am asked, I'm almost going to talk myself out of work, but when I'm asked to do culture diagnostics, I don't really need to be the person that does the culture diagnostic. You can actually do that within your own organisation on a rolling basis. So you're alive to the culture that exists within your organisation, which is what you're saying the army are doing. I think there's also always value in getting a, an outsider to come in and have a look because yeah. they just see things from a, a different perspective or no perspective as far as the organization is concerned. And they'll either agree with you or they'll say, actually, well, if you look at this from this perspective, and perhaps also people will talk to an outsider differently than they would do to their, what we would call our, the chain of command, the leadership in an organization. Uh, so there are different ways of doing it. But so, so you could almost have that, this parallel thing. You can call somebody in periodically, but uh, at the same time and constantly, you could be measuring your own culture through some of the, the work that you've described there that the Army are doing. Uh, and I think there's a lot of lessons. I'm sure that there's, there's going to be people listening today thinking, do you know what? There are things there that the British Army are doing that we haven't even thought about. Maybe we need to get on board with this kind of stuff. So, But I'm looking forward to having you as one of our keynote speakers for the first ever Human-Centred Leadership Conference in March, Dean. Thank you so much for agreeing to be there. But I think there's a lot that we can talk around this whole culture and address it and then challenge this concept of soft skills and why they're so critical. I think this this a conversation that we've just had today is just just a taster, really, of uh, what we've got to come in March. So I look forward to seeing you then. And uh, well, you're going to stay for as long as you possibly can. I know that you have another speaking gig later on on that day. So I really do appreciate you uh, making time out to come on the 26th of March. And certainly for today, I've really, really enjoyed our conversation. Thank you so much. And good luck to you in your work in the Army. There's a lot of work to be done there. Thanks for having me on. I've uh, really enjoyed the conversation and I'm absolutely looking forward to the, the conference and I'll see you there. Thanks for listening. I hope you enjoyed this podcast. Please do subscribe and click on notifications for new content. And of course, connect with me on LinkedIn. Take care. Have a great day.